Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. I have the incredible job of interviewing geniuses from around the world about the trend shaping the way we live and work. This summer, I'm interviewing 12 futurists and forward-thinking leaders. We'll discuss how they identify trends, how they vet their sources, what trends they're following, and what's filling them with a sense of optimism. My hope is that our global audience of leaders like you can become better visionaries for your organizations and be more prepared for our uncertain future. Today's guest is Cecily Summers. She wrote the book, Think Like a Futurist, and has been named as one of the top 50 female futurists by Forbes. 12 Geniuses is brought to you in part by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is a B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. Reach out at thestarconspiracy.com for more information or to schedule a chat with the team. That's the star with two R's, conspiracy.com. Cecily, welcome back to 12 Geniuses. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here, Don. Thank you. I just have a handful of questions for you. First is, what are you reading or watching, listening to that you would recommend to our listeners in order to help them better prepare for the future? You know, one of the chief functions or, or practices for any futurist is to scan. And a really great scanning source for me is I read the New York Times book review. I love reading that because I am scanning what the latest, and it's usually the nonfiction that I'm scanning, of course. What are the latest books that are coming out? The thinkers, and then, of course, beautiful writers themselves who comment on them and give you historical context, why this book matters, how it's building on other uh, kind of previous intellectual history. So I really like that quite a bit. The New York Review of Books is similarly good. So. I get a lot of content scan there, and I'm a, in my work, I really do love paying attention to historians, economists, people who are framing uh, where we are in history around social issues and so forth, and I find that to be a great source. Who are a couple of authors that you really, if they write a book, you're not missing it? You know, I go on JAGs for a while. You know, you really get into somebody, of course, in the last handful of years. Yuval Noah Harari was one of them for me, really influenced my work. I also like George Friedman, who's a geopolitical historian. And I did a bunch of research about a year ago on looking at the cycles in history, how people qualify, you know, have we been here before? And there are some who see it as exponential growth and others who see these as cycles. And typically they're talking about the same thing with just different frameworks. So George Friedman, I've really enjoyed. Kevin Kelly, who wrote What Technology Wants, um, talks about technology having kind of a biological urge to evolve in the same way that all of nature does. It's not separate from us, but embedded in the same forces and behaviors that not only guide human evolution, but all of natural evolution. Very, very interesting work. How do you do your research? And most importantly, I'm, I really want to get in, into how you evaluate your sources, because as a futurist, you must come across things that seem like science fiction or seem impossible to believe, but are true. So I have a formula, an algebraic formula called solving for X. Whenever, you know, I work with large corporations often, and so the X is very much what business problem are you trying to solve? So that it's not just an open-ended feeling of, 
you know, what's the future of energy or what's the future of leadership, which often, you know, are the kinds of questions that come to me. I help to try and frame it according to what are they really trying to achieve. Then that formula is how far out are we looking? You know, we have to consider because as we're scoping the research, we want to get really specific, you know, otherwise it's so wide open that then all we're doing is collecting trends and that's not something I'm interested in doing. So how far out are we looking? I do then dig into the psychology of the needs at play, you know, whose needs are we really trying to meet? And I also dig into the purpose of the organization or the individual. So some of those are the things that don't change. Before we look at what does change, you know, I'm I'm always looking at what changes, what doesn't, so that we can divine, in a sense, what's next, or at least get a clear picture of where we want to move. So I look at all the things that don't change first, and that comes into that philosophical framing of how do we understand the business problem, human needs, the types that don't change very often, and also what your purpose is as an organization. That helps me then scope the kinds of things that I want to investigate. Um, when I, with the nature of the problem, the nature of the need, I might be going into when I looked at the future of pet ownership at one time, you know, I started looking at uh, the question was, well, why do people own pets? You know, what is it that drives them to that answer that says, yes, a pet in my life gives me fill in the blank. And I dug into paleoanthropologists and did interviews with animal behaviorists and hung out in dog parks and shelters and uh, interviewed kids and owners and all of that to find out what is this really about? So that if we're going to shape the behaviors, the campaigns, the strategies that help the business say we want to grow by X in this amount of time, we've now really understood the nature of that. So that took me into psychological development and, and then we got into, and so in five years time, what will work be like? What will home be like? Uh, what will the economy be like? How is this gonna be shaping people's lives such that pet ownership, what are gonna be the triggers to tip that decision into pet ownership, for instance? So I do a lot of that inquiry before I even frame the research. And one of the things that's really central to my work is that I don't look at best practices or others in the industry first. I do that very last as like a benchmarking against what we've discovered, our key insights. And once we have understood that that's our understanding and it's feeling really right, anybody else doing that? And or if it's a new model, are there any models outside the industry that we want to now benchmark against? I'm curious to know about the evaluation of sources. And what I'm getting at is, you know, we're fed so much information now, and we don't necessarily have the, the time to rigorously vet whether this is, this is accurate, this is inaccurate, if it's biased, et cetera. How do you, how do you handle that? I'm fairly conventional in a way, and, and I like it, I have to say. So I'm doing primary research around, you know, maybe interviews within the organization or sometimes with customer bases and so forth, ethnographies. But otherwise, it's secondary research. And I want to visit those people who are doing primary research. 
they are out in the field or they're in the lab and they're the ones who are asking the questions and are doing it in a really serious way. And or journalists who, you know, really understand their subject matter or public intellectuals really understand their subject matter and that they have a track record of asking really smart questions, not pontificating or being ideological but synthesizing things in a way that I know make me see and think differently. When I think about different trends, I typically categorize them or they typically fall into a social trend or a technology trend. And I wonder if there's a social trend right now that you're exploring that is fascinating you. I am interested, curious to see what's been happening as a long term trend at this point of discrediting our social institutions, law, government, marriage, family, many of the traditions and philosophies that have held us cohesive as a society, cohesive uh, as a way of being, are very intentionally being undermined. And so there's a pervasive cynicism around those, and we've embedded it sometimes in terms of the U.S. government. It's now in the institution that they are actively undermining it. So uh, we are dealing with things like AI and cryptocurrencies and blockchain, where ultimately some regulation is going to be needed. And yet we have a culture currently that is very libertarian and says, you know, don't tell us what to do. We're inventing, you know, the next system of trust that can, you know, jump over all of that. And I would say I am very cautious about believing any of those ideologies. So I do think it will sort itself out. It's pendular typically in history. When revolutionary technologies really swing at our ways of doing economics, you know, production and distribution, Um, and also that meet a time such as we're in where geopolitically there's a a complete reordering. What new technology are you fascinated by or are you tracking? You know, AI is the, the big one always because it actually is the engine behind a lot of the other things that we watch. You know, if we think about, you know, the sensors in all of our lives and the tracking of it, social media, robotics, um, automation of any kind, uh, blockchain, you know, what's happening even in um, biology and genetics. This is all in many ways AI driven. So, you know, artificial intelligence is unleashed in the public domain and uh, ahead of our ability to really manage it. So that's gonna be very interesting. And again, I go back to at some point, it will need to be regulated because we can continually will be um, bumping up against some things that we don't want. And that's what every potential holds. It has really extraordinary advantages that move us ahead. And I think AI has many of them. Um, but it also has implications of, you know, how much do we want to be controlled as we already are by this massive social experiment that's, you know, going on without our consent, you know, as, you know, Facebook being kind of the, the common uh, example of, you know, looked at ways to get more engagement and outrage gets that and gets them more money. And it also the consequences, the political polarization we have now. 
social conversation. So this is a big experiment we're under, and, and so I'm watching how we manage it. When you think about AI, how do you see it positively uh, serving humanity? Oh, my goodness. You know, what it's doing with um, helping us get new drugs uh, that we wouldn't have been able to any other way. Uh, you know, at DeepMind, they kind of cracked the code on protein folding and began to work with other labs and got new drugs into the system. Uh, you know, we can consider just the tracking that was happening for managing the pandemic or how quickly we were able to to get a vaccine in the works and now new drugs. And there is artificial intelligence uh, now operating in all of those labs to make that be so much more efficient. Um, supply chains are really big deal, especially if we want to manage climate change and costs. Um, that uh, you know what we're able to do with AI and supply chain is quite enormous, and making those more efficient, having sensors monitoring the environment for uh, climate change. There's a lot of complex issues that we face that artificial intelligence and very likely quantum computing will be some of the tools that we use to map bigger solutions than our minds alone can perceive. Beyond that, do you see big risks with AI as it continues to grow and continues to be adopted? Certainly. I mean, the, the thing that we, you know, a uh, new technology brings with it a new capability. And the thing that makes it good or bad is human behavior and the choices we make and or the systems that we put around it to help restrain it or direct it. Um, but human behavior is going to be getting in the mix and people have their own ideas about what's in their best interest. And so uh, certainly surveillance is an enormous issue. Uh, and if we use AI to render legal opinions about sentencing, let's say, or who's up for parole or um you know, how we determine who goes forward in education or where people live. I mean, we are going to be sorting, scanning, and making evaluations around people in ways that we haven't really consciously given our permission to do that. But it's, it's an enormous experiment that is uh, currently we are giving all our data away. And uh, we can, we should expect that there will be malfeasance there, or at least just incompetence along the way. Um, yeah, cyber warfare is a real deal. You know, uh, misinformation is very much among us already. Uh, manipulation of all of that is really critical. So we are in the world of alternative facts. And, um, you know, very much in line with alternative realities as we also develop the metaverse and virtual realities and new capabilities there and alternative planetary systems and habitats along with it. So alternatives is a, like, it's a theme. Uh, polarization is always a theme and any time for everything. So polarization is another way of saying things are complex. What's filling you with a sense of optimism? What comes to, what's top of mind? Well, I think humans are pretty cool. I think nature is gorgeous. I think the possibilities that we get to entertain 
and the the capacity for ingenuity, the capacity for love, the capacity for caring that lies in all of us is what we get to bring to any part of our lives, including how we envision the future. Um, we can make a great case and we are being fed it every day about, you know, people use statements frequently as, you know, things being broken. And um, I'm not so sure that that's the case. I don't agree with it. I think things are, are working just the way they were designed to and that change is upon us and we don't like it. Um, but this is how history has always worked as well. And so taking, you know, I'm very much about seeking sobriety and optimism at the same time. We have been here before uh, in what humanity has faced and had to overcome. We've never been in exactly these circumstances, but it, it fits the patterns of historical change. And, um, you know, we are in for difficult times. That is true. But we have so much good to um, take a hold of within ourselves and together. Just in closing, is there anything else you would like to add to help leaders become better visionaries or prepare them for the future? Well, maybe it's uh, a circling back to what we talked about at the opening, which is get philosophical before you get practical. Don't seek answers, but seek understanding. Frame things in the deepest causes of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to form a society? What does it mean to uh, be interdependent? And how do we care for those things in the greatest sense of um, humility and morality, which is that we are here to serve, do the most good for the most people and to reduce harm. Uh, and to be open to wrestling with hard, complicated things without needing an answer. Allow it to guide you and um, find your own way and let that be the path. I do think for leaders that is the work and it's hard because the pressures are intense for having answers. But the path of wisdom is one where you get philosophical first, you invest in the humility of not knowing, but you're always seeking to go deeper in uh, the level of understanding that we need for wisdom and discernment to cleave our path forward. Cecily, I love the way you think. Thank you for your time today. And thank you again for being a genius. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Don. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses. And thank you again to the Star Conspiracy for sponsoring this episode. On next week's show, we'll hear from futurist Rebecca Ryan. She and her team work with communities around the country to plan what their cities will look like 10, 20, and even 30 years into the future. Rebecca will share her secrets for spotting trends before they become obvious. Thank you to Richard, Jonathan, J. Tony, and the rest of our production team at GL Pro in London. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.